Jason Max and Murphy here. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Jared Murphy of City Limits is off this week. I'm very much looking forward to being joined by Dr. Christina Greer, Fordham political science professor, co-host of the FAQ NYC podcast, politics editor at The Grio, New York One contributor, and much more. Uh, Dr. Christina Greer will join me later in the show to discuss trends in New York politics, her takeaways from the recent primaries that we had in June, what she's watching as we head towards the general election, and also what to look for as the calendar heads towards 2021. And of course, the all-important mayoral election that will take place next year among many elections for New York City offices that will be on the ballot next year. The entire city council, all the borough presidents, all three citywide positions will all be on the ballot next year with very few incumbents running for re-election given term limits. And it is going to be an incredible year in New York politics leading up to the June 2021 primaries. Obviously, it's a very heavily democratic city. So, so many elections in New York City are determined by the winners of the Democratic primaries. So I will be joined by Dr. Greer in a little bit to discuss some of her takeaways from the primaries that just happened. And she pays attention, of course, to local and national politics as well. So we'll get Dr. Greer's thoughts on what's happening in the presidential race, the Democratic National Convention. And she always has many interesting things to say. She's also a friend. And as I mentioned, she's a co-host of the FAQ NYC podcast. We had her other co-host, Harry Siegel, on last week to talk about Mayor de Blasio's lack of leadership and what else is going on in city politics and government. And we'll get a little bit of a different perspective from Dr. Greer this week. Uh, so two good friends and happy to have them join me in back-to-back weeks. And if you don't, you should check out their podcast, FAQ NYC. Uh, I've been happy to join them on it a couple of times to talk about mostly election results. We have a little tradition where I join them uh, after election uh, night and uh, always enjoy doing that. And it's great to talk with them here on our show. Um, but right now I want to turn to our next guest, who is Dr. Christina Greer, uh, a friend of mine, but more importantly, uh, a Fordham political science professor, co-host of the FAQ NYC podcast, politics editor at the Grio, New York One contributor. Uh, what else? What am I missing? <laughs> Exhausted <laughs> New Yorker, friend of Ben Mack. New Yorker, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, other than being exhausted, how are you doing today? Good. You know, um, election season is always one of my favorite seasons. Um, so there's a lot to do, uh, but I'm excited about, you know, the DNC this week and hearing from new voices and thinking about what our future democracy looks like. Yeah. So, you know, we obviously are so focused on local stuff, state and city um, stuff on this show. And, you know, what I do at Gotham Gazette and what Jarrett, who is not uh, with us today, but does at City Limits. But we are in the middle of the DNC. So and we have you here. So what are a couple of those thoughts about what you're seeing? Um, There's this really sort of incredible moment around that I'm seeing in terms of sort of some of the energy and the change in the Democratic party and then having Joe Biden as the standard bearer, it's like, it's a little bit um, confusing at times, I think, watching all this. What do you, yeah, what do you, some people feel like there's somewhat of a disconnect um, mm-hmm. just because Joe Biden represents 
you know, a wing and a time of the Democratic Party that many people don't necessarily identify with, if you will, even though he was just vice president not too long ago. But, you know, you can look at New York City politics and see um, the, the distinctions across the city. I mean, some neighborhoods really do like uh, their incumbents. They like sort of older, steady hand, firm leadership consistency. And then we see other districts who want a change and incumbency advantage uh, didn't work for for those who've been in power and in office for quite some time. And they're yearning for something new and something different. And so I think that's what Joe Biden is trying to do with the ticket and choosing Kamala Harris, which is saying, I will be that bridge to the new generation. Uh, and, and, you know, we have a lot of diversity within the types of blue that make up the Democratic Party. Uh, and so we're also still trying to grapple with, you know, just because you're a Democrat doesn't mean you're progressive or a liberal. Uh, we have lots of moderate and sort of quasi right leaning um, uh, Democrats, depending on where you live. Uh, and so we're we're at a moment where because there's such an existential threat to our democracy at the federal level, um, a lot of people are trying to figure out, OK, I'm going to vote in November a particular way, but how do I keep the pressure on uh, my elected officials, not just at the national level, but translate that fervor and that energy and that desire for equity and justice to local local level elections as well? Yeah, and speaking of that, um, you know, I'm interested in your thoughts on the primaries we just had in New York because this uh you know the power of this movement on the left with the working families party and the democratic socialists of america and make the road new york and too many groups to name but it's really been remarkable that some of the groups that have been around a while how they've grown some new groups that have popped up etc um you know took a lot of these diverse and younger group of of elected officials that are going to be heading to albany what did you make of of what we saw in those primaries well, I didn't necessarily see a pattern per se. I think that all politics is incredibly local. And so if we take it district by district, I think we can explain the wins or losses in each particular district. I do think that there are a lot of really robust grassroots organizations who have been working with tenants, organi- tenants organizations and groups, uh, people in housing projects to actually listen uh, to what people need uh, and then empower those people. Uh, to actually articulate a vision for their own uh, elected officials and what they need in a political and electoral space. And I think that some incumbents took their district for granted. Others may have had a a shaky election season uh, two years ago and actually took that to heart and paid attention Mm -hmm. to some changes that needed to be made. Uh, But I do think that also, you know, because of social media, there are a lot of ways that these young, innovative uh, challengers, and, and when I say young, not always sort of under 35, but uh, young to the process, um, have been able to reach out to people within their district. And I think for far too often, we have a lot of electeds who, who fly into a district and say, okay, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm successful in Albany or D.C. Uh, and we've seen the successful challengers have, have gone into their own district and said, what exactly is it that you need and how can I be of service as a public servant? And we've seen people like Jamal Bowman, uh, you know, Richie Torres having an incredibly competitive 
uh, primary field. Um, you know, listening and, and taking notes and trying to work on behalf of, of what people say they want. What do you make of where in New York the, um, you know, the sort of battle over the the direction of the Democratic primary uh, party is going? You know, you have Governor Cuomo um, reelected handily. There's all sorts of things we could say about that. You know, he spent uh, $25, 30000000 million on the primary to get reelected. But, um, you know, Governor Cuomo reelected handily. But, you know, you have the AOCs and the Jamal Bowmans um, ousting these longtime incumbents. Um, and is there, you know, are people misunderstanding some of what it means to be, you know, sort of a progressive Democrat versus a moderate liberal Democrat? Um, you know, I think it's it's not always as clear cut as people are are sort of making it out to be that there's these two you know, these two wings of the party and they're at war. No, and I don't think that they're necessarily at war, especially when we think about who the president is and, you know, folks, you know, the threat that is the president of the United States. But I have to remind my students all the time, you know, all states are red states. When we look at, you know, the state of New York, it's not some bright blue, hyper progressive state by any stretch of the imagination. We can look at the battles in Albany and see that. And so I think because, Andrew Cuomo knows Albany, I would venture to, to argue, better than any New Yorker. You know, he's practically raised there, working with his father for three terms, and then uh, he's on his third term himself. Um, I think he understands the extent to which he can be progressive uh, when he can show up to be progressive, late to the party, which happens often, but also making sure that, you know, those those purple parts of New York – uh, and the more centrist wing of the Democratic Party don't feel like he's going too far to the left. I mean, very rarely does he lead in a progressive charge. He might say he does, but very rarely does he lead in that way. Um, and so I think he's very keenly aware of not only who votes in the state, but uh, just how far left he can go as a governor. And I think that's why he's been quite successful for these past three elections, um, making negotiations and concessions uh, with various groups, making promises, <laughs> sometimes not about yeah, with other groups. Right. Well, you know, it's funny because but, Governor Cuomo yeah. is buoyed so much by the suburbs and then uh, communities of color in New York City. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, so many communities of color have such such poor choices um, to, you know, when it comes to candidates and who to choose from. I mean, oftentimes it's, you know, going with the person who will do the least amount of harm and or going with someone who is familiar, you know, in that old saying, the devil you know versus the devil you don't. And so the fact that Andrew Cuomo has shown up when it matters for particular big key issues, maybe when it comes to civil rights or, or, or social justice issues uh, at the final hour, but you know, black voters in particular, and that's the group that I study, um, tend to be incredibly strategic and are, are very keenly aware that they may not always, there's no purity test uh, with elected officials. And so to wait for the ideal candidate to come around, that's just never been an option or a luxury for, for black voters uh, in the history of this nation. So someone who gets you close to the goalpost um, tends to do quite well in a black community because we know that there is no I, there is no candidate who who keeps sort of black issues at the forefront and as a priority. So I was just talking um, 
before you join me, I was talking with Donovan Richards, city council member uh, from Southeast Queens, who just, you know, won the Democratic primary for Queensboro president. Um, and he, uh, besides being black, he represents, you know, a heavily black district in Southeast Queens. And he, um, you know, he ran for Queensboro president on a sort of pro development, you know, let's get to yes on housing. Let's get to yes on jobs. He, he supported the Amazon deal that fell apart. Um, you know, some very, what's considered sort of like moderate liberal, you know, views, certainly not the far left, um, voices, you know, that, that obviously oppose the Amazon deal and a lot of other development proposals right now. Um, you know, and so I think, he sort of fits a little bit even of what you were just saying about, you know, some of the, the voting around Cuomo, but in a, but in a, in a slightly different way. And, and I, I wonder sometimes around, you know, some of the, the discussion around development and jobs, um, you know, how you think about how black voters, you know, vote based on people's approaches to those two topics. Right. I mean, it's also a pragmatic approach. I mean, we got to keep in mind that like roughly 90 percent of the black electorate is captured within the Democratic Party. Right. Mm -hmm. Because Republicans have chosen to go a a white nationalist route. So there are fewer and fewer black Republicans each time around. It gets a little wonky depending on certain local elections, you know, in in certain states. But for the most part, uh, we're in the high, high 80s, low 90s when it comes to blacks in the Democratic Party. Uh, And so that also means, though, that you have great ideological diversity all trapped within one party. And so when you think of a a borough like Queens, where you have a large number of black homeowners, you know, their perceptions of crime and law and order are somewhat different than, say, uh, black voters in other, other boroughs and other neighborhoods across the city. When you think about job creation, um, you know, oftentimes, Black folks in cities across the country are, you know, last hired and first fired. So if there's an opportunity to bring in more jobs and more opportunities, oftentimes you will see uh, black electeds and also their constituencies wanting that because there there tend to be limited resources within black communities historically and deliberately. So it's not surprising that, say, a Donovan Richards would, would support Amazon or sort of uh, be classified as more of a moderate as opposed to hardcore progressive. I think where some folks in the media get it confused is that they see uh, protesters uh, who may you know, be black uh, and assume that black equals progressive politics. And that's not always the case, because once we uh, disaggregate, uh, yes, you can be very much for social justice and moving forward in that space, but not necessarily um, want to elect officials who are as far left-leaning as you are, uh, or you may be moderate. You know, I mean, as we looked at the data over the years, you know, not all Black Americans support Black Lives Matter. Not all uh, Black Americans support defunding the police. Um, we've seen this with certain city council members as well. And so it's not just looking at their constituents to see what it is they like, but really recognizing the nuance, the political and ideological nuance and diversity within black voters. I think that's, that's a really, you know, key point, obviously. And, and some of that though also makes me think whether it's with Donovan Richards, this is also true with Richie Torres, who you mentioned, um, who's Afro Latino, but you know, the, the, the definition of progressive seems to be very fuzzy for some. And, you know, I said this during the Queensboro president race is that, 
you know, people started to to paint Donovan Richards as like, you know, this real estate shill who was, you know, not a progressive and was, and, you know, was all these things. And it was just totally silly if you actually know what he stands for. And the fact that he was, you know, is pro development in some ways, but he wants to get the best deal possible, you know, all of a sudden, you know, to some people that makes you not a progressive anymore. And it's just, you know, the conversation has gotten very tilted towards, um, you know, some of the sort of, um, uh, self-defining, you know, progressivism that, you know, continues to be, uh, a source of debate. But, you know, I think Richards is, is a great example and not, you know, not to focus too much on him, but that, you know, he, there's, there's no choice, you know, there's no real choice there between sort of being practical and being pro development, uh, and being progressive. I mean, he's, you know, been critical of the NYPD voted no on the budget. You know, this is not necessarily an either or all the time. Right. And I think that with black electeds, depending on their district, uh, we'll see certain things that, you know, that we haven't necessarily seen with, say, white electeds, where it's like you have to look at sort of an issue by issue, case by case. Um, You can't just say, oh, okay, well, they voted, you know, on this particular line item on, say, the the budget or policing or, you know, transportation. So we can assume that they're going to to vote in a particular way on, on a totally different issue. That's not the case. And I think that, you know, Black voters tend to be, you know, as the data has shown, uh, highly informed voters because these issues affect them so severely. So housing, you know, and, and not having generational wealth because of redlining and the GI Bill and the things that we can go on and on against systemic and institutional racist practices in this nation, people do pay attention. Um, and they do think about, you know, what it means to have Amazon come and taxes that will or will not you know, come through a community. Um, and so it may not be uh, spoken about in the, in the ways that, you know, we talk about it on our, our podcast, but there's a, a real understanding of the political and economic ramifications of, of people's decisions. So I think that the takeaway is like to understand and respect all of the diversity. And it, and it can be pretty intense and pretty severe, but it's all within one party. So if black voters by and large had two parties to choose from, we'd probably see many more black Americans in the Republican Party, except for the fact that the Republican Party has chosen to cast their lot with white nationalism. And so people stick with the Democratic Party, even though they may have uh, what we would classify as more uh, conservative or highly moderate leanings. Interesting. Um, in our in our last minute or so here, I wanted to get your thoughts about what you're seeing as we move toward this mayoral election. I know you've been discussing it a bunch, both on your podcast and elsewhere, in terms of talk. You've, you've spoken with some of the candidates, as as we have here. Um, you know, you're looking at this a little bit as, and also in the light of, you know, Mayor de Blasio um, getting so much criticism from so many sides and people eager to talk about who his replacement will be. But what do you, what's top of mind for you as you think about the city sort of yearning for and soon to choose a new mayor? What do you what do you think sort of at the top of the list right now for where the city's at in terms of what's needed in this discussion that's about to unfold? Right. One, I think it depends on how November 3rd shakes out, um, depending on whether or not we have four more years of Donald Trump and people are thinking about our relationship with the federal government and, you know, the future of our democracy. But I think 
you know, obviously the economics of things, we have rampant unemployment because of COVID. Uh, so many businesses, small businesses, especially immigrant-owned businesses and minority-owned businesses will never come back. So we're going to have to think about, you know, a mayor that sets forth a vision to really rebuild New York and not in some Bloombergian uh, way of supporting big businesses, but really, you know, the, the granular level. And then also we'll see how uh, crime... Uh, and sort of quality of life issues shake out, not just this summer, but next summer, because we know that when unemployment goes up, so does crime for the most part. And so will we see New Yorkers wanting more of a law and order type candidate or someone who really thinks about social justice in dealing with crime and how we can divert some of our resources instead of going straight to Rikers, putting people in various programs um, to help them get back on their feet in various ways. Uh, And then, you know, I think the larger piece is, do we want someone who says, I have governmental experience and managerial experience, or will New Yorkers take their chance uh, on someone who who is essentially new to politics, um, but but has a reputation or presents themselves as having a reputation uh, of a good manager, a listener, someone who will hire good people and actually listen to them? Uh, I think de Blasio has hired really good people by and large. I think the problem is that he hasn't listened to them. Right, um, right. So, I'm sorry? Yeah. No, I just said, right, but he hasn't listened to them. Right. It's a good point. Yeah. Right. You look yeah. at the people he's surrounded himself with. It's not like he doesn't, I mean, I, I think, you know, he, especially his first time, he got some of the best of the best people from I, the Bloomberg administration. Right. I, I apologize, Christina. We'll, we'll continue the conversation. We'll have you back. We want to talk much more about this mayor's legacy Ooh. and the race. Him. I very much appreciate uh, the time and we'll talk with you soon. Okay. See you soon.